Hello friends and welcome to your Monday edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. Sorry we're a bit late but hopefully we're still sounding great. There's a lot to talk about on today's show. Obviously that disappointing 1-1 draw at Fleet to, against Fleetwood on Friday night, chief amongst them. But first of all, I must introduce my fellow two Kings joining me today. And the reason we're late but still sounding great is because Stu, the doctor, was in training this morning, Mr Watson. Um, if ever anyone didn't need any training in their life, it's you. But unfortunately, you had to sit through a whole morning of it. How are you feeling after that? Yeah, work training. It's not not like marathon training or anything like that. Um, mm. I've got to be careful, haven't I? Because there could be some shady news quest figures listening in now. Yeah, moved on from shady Archant figures. Um, if they are listening, it was great, and I feel tooled up and ready yeah. to to take my work to a new level. Excellent, and we'll leave it there because, as you say, they've got they've got eyes everywhere. We are basically in succession now, and of course, your partner in crime is off, Andy Warren. He's got a couple of days off, so he's we still are joined though by the bearded one, the one who spoke most sense on last week's shambolic Thursday pod where Stu tried to set light to himself and Andy destroyed the Milker Cup draw. Roscoe, the prospect, the beard. Ross Halls, how are you? I'm very well and um, I'm still getting over that moment with Stu. Um, what a moment that was. And uh, so many people came up to me talking about it. It was it was gold, podcast gold. And praise Stu for bringing it into the camera lens so we were catching it all. Like a true professional, if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it on the on the video from last week. We, we do have a clip, but I'm not going to put that out until people have had a chance to go and watch it and boost our viewership because Stu sets light to his, his spare bedroom uh, and then like a pro, before extinguishing the flames, moves the flames onto camera just to show what's happening uh, before he actually extinguishes the danger. So ever the pro, Stuart Watson. Boys, before we get on to town um, and, and the draw on Friday, Christmas. I know there's, there's Christmas presents all around you, Stu. How, what kind of level of Christmas are we at in Watson household? Is the tree up, the decorations up? How excited is your daughter? Uh, yeah, very. We um, we got all the decorations up yesterday. So, um, yeah, rearranging the entirety of the furniture in the front room just so you can fit the tree in for a few weeks. Um, but, yeah, all good fun. You? Have you, have you done it yet? No. Every year, have a row with the wife about when to put the tree up. I always want it to go up. I'd put it up in November if it's up to me. But the wife, very keen not to get it up until about the week before Christmas is when she put it. To be honest, she'd put it up probably on Christmas Eve if she had her own way and then take it down on Boxing Day because she just doesn't like a messy house. Um, it has to be very minimalistic and stylish, our, uh, our decorations, which is not really what Christmas is about. But I've been married to her now for quite a few years, so I'm used to it. Rossi, how about Christmas in your house? Do you go mad? Do you go over the top? Got all your stuff up? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a Grinch, but I don't really care to be honest. I'm, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's another month. Um, my missus loves it, so she's got all she's put up. She's put all the decorations up and stuff like that. But I'm more like, yeah, get, get me the celebration boxes, give me the chocolate and all that, and mince pies. I'm happy with that sort of stuff for Christmas. For the rest of it, it's one day and it's over, and then boom, you know, once again, leftovers, Christmas dinner, leftovers. I'm happy with that. So everything that comes with food and everything, I'm happy with for Christmas, but the rest can just, you I don't, don't want to say get in the bin because I feel bad. Because I know there's some people who love Christmas, but I'm just not that fussed. But maybe when yeah. I get kids, maybe I will, but yeah. Oh, have we got some breaking news? No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> Good, good. Yeah. yeah, let's pump the brakes on that one, so to speak. Yeah, uh, yeah. so you, you're, you're not one for the pomp and ceremony of Christmas, Ross. You're more one for the food, which doesn't really surprise me. Um, and before we move on, obviously, friends, we also have to talk about something that Ross was doing last night. Not content with just covering Ipswich Town games, you went down Isaacs, Ross, and produced a nice little video package for the England game. England beat Senegal 3-0, for those of you just catching up. Um, how excited are we? If we're not excited about Christmas, are we excited at all about the World Cup, boys? Roscoe, what was it like down there last night? It was a good atmosphere. It was cold because December, watching a game in a pub outside was very different. But, um, but no, nah, quarterfinals, you know, not... Not many games left to go until the final, which is just mad. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very much on the fence on terms of international football. I'm not, once again, just like Christmas, I'm not really fussed. If they win, great. If they don't, whatever. Um, I'm probably the worst person to ask, really. So probably Stu's probably better. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit game of football again, isn't it? Stu enthusiasts. I'm like Ross. I don't really care about this World Cup, um, which is typical because it probably end up being the one that, that uh, England win. I just can't get into it. The whole background of it makes me sick. But you're enjoying it, aren't you? 
I am enjoying it. Yeah, I feel a bit guilty for enjoying it as well. You should, you should do. You should do. You're supporting a corrupt and oppressive regime. Well, the football's been pretty good. I think it's ticking a lot of the boxes for a classic World Cup <clears> so far. We've had late drama in the group stages. We've had underdog success stories. We've had some iconic goals. Um, it sucked me in, um, yeah. I'm sorry to say. And I, 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 can I shock you? I quite like Winter World Cups. It's quite nice being at home, cosy. Sunday, we're getting the Christmas decorations up, did all of that. And then I was, right, football's going on now. Sit and watch, sit and watch the football. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's been pretty good. It was and, a pretty... I'm, and I'm excited about England as well, actually. I think, um, you know, I've been, I'm enjoying watching them play as well. It was, for, for all my being kind of miserly about it, and I haven't watched any of it apart from the first half of the Wales game, about 60 minutes of that. And I watched about 60 minutes of last night, turned it off when, when uh, England were 2-0 up because it was clearly the game was over and it was going to be dull from that point onwards. But um, what are you saying? France, Stu? This is it, isn't it? This is the year that England are going to win it all if they beat France. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's impossible to call the game on, on Sunday. I didn't... I say that I had the football on. Um, I was in Christmas decoration mode. It was very much on mute in the background. I caught the, M, the Mbappe magic. Um, but from what I've read that Poland, who were who were awful in their previous game, actually gave France some some tricky moments at, at spells in that game. So um, I'm just looking forward to it. I think it'd be a really good game. It'll be a sign of um, you know how how far England have come against the, these bigger opponents in in their knockout football. But uh, yeah, it should be a good one. Mm. I'll be at a fight show on Saturday where they've just tweeted they're going to be showing the football as well. So it's going to be that's going to make for a, a, an explosive atmosphere, shall we say? Beer, fighting and football. Um, excellent. Look forward to that. Anyway, friends, let's talk about Ipswich Town now, shall we? After Christmas in England. Ipswich Town played on Friday night because of the World Cup. Didn't need to, really. Um, and they drew, somewhat deflatingly and depressingly, 1-1 at home with League One's draw specialist Fleetwood Town. Stewie Watson, you were in the crowd watching on. I say in the crowd, obviously, you're kind of elevated above the crowd, aren't you, in your lofty press position. Kind of better than the, the crowd, really, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it sounded as you said that then. Um, yeah. Um, well, and that's exactly what I meant. because uh, that's what you tell me to say. So what did what did you what did you make of it? Very partridge then. I liked it. Um uh, disappointing, obviously, wasn't it? Um the result and the performance. Um for quite a long time we've been saying how consistent it, it should be in even the games that they haven't haven't managed to get a win from. The performances have been pretty good and you could say on another day they deserve more. Um, this one, I don't think they deserve to win that game. Kieran McKenna talked about it being a, a lucky equaliser and an undeserved equaliser. I, I wrote in my piece that I think he was half right on that. It was certainly a, a lucky deflection, the way the ball ended up in the net. But um, I thought Fleetwood were full value to, to take a point from that game. I'm enjoying watching you two stuff grapes into your mouth while I talk here as well. You you crack on. Um, yeah, second second half in particular was was pretty poor from an from an Ipswich Town point of view. You got me mid grape there, Stu. Apologise, listeners, for that. Um, I don't know how that comes across in your audio. Probably didn't sound very nice. Um, Roscoe, you pretended you were Wes Burns before the game in another epic game day <laughs> intro, which I very much enjoyed. What did you make of it all watching on? From pitch side, ah, uh, I love a game under lights. By the way, on a Friday, that was nice. Um, despite it was actually needed in the end for the World Cup game being on a Sunday, um, but once again, started brightly. Got the opening goal. Someone tweeted me when Luke Wolfram scored because it was a back post sort of goal again, wasn't it? or set piece goal. Um, so yeah, it was a good start. Um, but then yeah. We know what happened the rest of the game. A frustrating watch. Fleetwood had more possession, which is very rare to see. A town side basically mm. get bossed in possession. Um, but yeah, we'll get on to the course of the ending. But it was coming all along, weren't it, unfortunately? But yeah, draw specialist Fleetwood, they show what they can do. They they can get a draw. So you referred to it, I think, as, as one of the, what, maybe the worst town performance of the season in the league anyway. Um, and, and Ross just alluded to it there. There, kind of unusual in that usually in these sort of games, in previous iterations of this result, it's, it's town knocking on the door, 
um, creating chances and then, and then failing to capitalise. But here it sounds to me that Fleetwood kind of had had a lot of the ball. Yeah, yeah. I think this probably is the worst performance in the league um, this season, and it comes hot on heels of a, a similarly sort of flat performance against Portsmouth in the Papa John's, which we kind of brushed under the carpet quite quickly because it was a case of oh, you know, get out of that competition, not not too worried, but. I just hope that this isn't a sign of um, of a of a theme emerging of, of you know performance levels just starting to dip maybe because of the, the numbers being a little bit stretched. But um, yeah, you could go back through the, the games that they've lost and drawn and and say well, you know Plymouth that could have gone either way. They played pretty well down down there in, in an entertaining game. The Lincoln game battered them for most of the game. Just couldn't find a way through. Cheltenham battered them, couldn't find a way through. This was very different. Fleetwood, this wasn't a team coming to Portman Road and parking the mm. bus. Um, Fleetwood, I was I was impressed with. They were sort of um, in the mould of their manager, Scott Brown, very aggressive um, in a firm but fair way. They just were, you know, they were up for it and they they um, they earned the right to play, um, got in Ipswich's faces and... Um, and as Ross says, it's not it's not very often you get teams have more of the ball than Ipswich, um, home or away, but certainly at Portman Road. So, um, all of that said, Ipswich had kind of kept them at arm's length for a lot of that second half. Ipswich Fleetwood having a lot of the ball, and I, and I know where Ross is coming from in saying it was always coming, but McKenna McKenna and the players' view was actually we're not always going to be brilliant every game. There are some games we have to be gritty and resilient and. And just see it out. And had they had they seen that out, I think the whole narrative about this would be got a win when not at their best, and and uh, limited Fleetwood's chances, and and saw out the one nil. But um, it wasn't to be. I was on mute there, friends. Sorry, that's because uh, I was eating grapes. Uh, in your stew says. Uh... Watto, you just alluded there to saying, had they won, it would have been that kind of narrative of pl- didn't play very well, but got a win. Instead, now. We're talking about another kind of drop point at home or drop points at home. It's 11 they've dropped at home so far this season. I think there was also a stat in your piece. Was it five goals after 89 minutes conceded? Um, so uh, some worrying trends. How how worried should we be? Because I feel like quite often we're talking about stuff like this after games at home you'd expect town to win. And we say, oh, you know, it's just one of these things. Um, but they are starting to stack up now. Um is there any worry creeping into that that Watto mind? Um, it's turned it up a, a little notch after this mm. one. I was I I wasn't particularly worried. I think I was quite laid back after the, the Lincoln and Cheltenham games because I saw enough from those performances to say that if you repeated that on any given day, back to the old nine times out of ten, that would have resulted in a win. Um stuff and, and that that would have been fine I just thought you know sometimes those sort of results happen but it's the performance rather than the result that that gives me some more concern even if Ipswich had won this game 1-0 I think there'd have been some things in that in that second half performance which would have worried me a little bit um just unnecessary bit bit sloppy on the ball lots of unforced errors um didn't really join up particularly well um and I don't know whether it's a psychological thing with the late goals and what had happened in these sort of games before, whether they thought, actually, um, you know, you think back to the Cheltenham game where they got in front, they were bang on top, and then one sloppy error sort of led to, to Cheltenham getting back in it. Whether that was in the back of their minds, protect what we've got, don't let that happen again. And, and um, you know, that invited a bit of pressure. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I can't say a lot more than other than it wasn't wasn't the best of performances, and and um, it's it's up to Ipswich now to kind of nip nip those doubts and worries and concerns in the bud because this is a fan base that has had so many false dawns and disappointments uh, over the, over the years. As a, as we've always said, it's not going to take much, and that's understandable to kind of give people the wobbles a little bit. Um, the overall picture is still very healthy, but um, it's a reminder there's still a long, long way to go in this season. Absolutely. We're entering crunch time over Christmas, aren't we, coming up the moving season. Roscoe, how worried, if at all, are you? Because as Stu says, as much as you know, we have to obviously talk about these things being, being pretty worrying, if you look at the bigger picture, town are still in an incredibly healthy position 
Um, and actually, given everything else that went in League One over the weekend, they, they emerged pretty much unscathed in terms of position. They actually gained a point on Plymouth. Um, so how, how how worried are these kind of somewhat vexing results to you and, and the performances? I know. I was like, I was going to say something there, but I've stopped myself. Um, no, I'm not worried. You know, I'm worried if there's any more injuries because we've yeah. still got a, you know, this is a big month, December. Um, so if there's any other key injuries, um, you know, Leif Davis, congrats on your team of the week. Um, but yeah, if there's any, like big injuries like that, then I'd be more and more worried because yeah, we haven't got players to fit there because that was the thing. We this was the first game I probably you know a lot of people said this this squad is stretched now. Um, mm. We haven't got that injection of life coming off the bench as we used to, you know, John Jules coming off the bench and those sort of players. You know, we, we had Gassimer had me and Kenan Jackson come off the bench, but that didn't really, for me, didn't bring me like all hope they were going to come and inject that, that life we needed, unfortunately. Um, but I'm not worried. As you said, Plymouth dropped points. Other teams around us have been dropping points. We're very healthy still in, you know, top three positions. We've got a lot of points. You know, Pompey, um, they lost as well. So I think we're in a great position still. Um, and, you know, every team has a blip, don't they, at some point. And uh, this could be our blip. Um, but, yeah, still very healthy. Yeah, good. Good. And speak, speak talking about injuries and health. Good to see Greg Lee, surprisingly, yeah. um, on the bench and, and coming on, on on Friday, wasn't it? Um, let's just reflect that you mentioned some of the results uh, in League One. I mean, clearly, it's worth reflecting on the Ipswich Town news show. Um, so Plymouth lost at home to Port Vale, 2 0. Peterborough lost at home to Barnsley. Obviously, Barnsley in, in that playoff mix, so maybe not a massive shock. But I think that's three game, three league games in a row Peterborough have, have lost now ahead of their visit to, to Portman Road. Um, Sheffield Wednesday could have gone top. They only got a nil-nil draw at Derby, I suppose, on the face of it, not the worst result. And then Wickham, as you say, Ross, beating Portsmouth yesterday. Wickham next next up after Peterborough for town. So there's some funny old results in League One. Stu, it's, one of, it's a funny old league, isn't it? Yeah, I, I suppose that's a, a positive slant to put on it, that mm. no ground was lost. The way I'd look at it is... It's a missed opportunity to kind of mm. build up a, a healthier margin, given those games that are coming up, Peterborough, Wickham, some tough matches, Portsmouth in, in the new year as well. Um, yeah, it's funny. So you talk about this this being Ipswich's blip. They're unbeaten in six at the moment, and we're talking mm. about that being a blip in form. They've not lost in six matches. Um, but these are the standards now that we're, we're holding Ipswich Town to, and... You know, we're talking about them being, I think now really the, the narrative changed more about them being a top top two contenders um, with, with top six looking like it was very much on the cards from, from quite early on in the season. So these are the sort of standards now that, that we're holding this this team and squad and, and management to. So um, it's all very well saying let's, let's get through to January and some reinforcements can come and some players will come back from injury. But the reality is, you don't tend to sign players on the 1st of January. Hmm. And these injured players, I don't think, are going to be walking straight back into a starting eleven at the start of January if it's, we're talking about them sort of being back in in and around it then. Although the hope is obviously that, so that one or two are ahead of schedule in, in terms of people like Lee Evans and Shawnee Aluko. But um, yeah, an interesting little period of, of games coming up now for Ipswich, given uh, where the squad's at. Mm. Uh, in terms of the games, Joe, I don't want to spend ages talking about it because it was a few days ago now and there's other things to talk about. But um, there were a couple of penalty incidents. Do you have any any views on those? Uh, I still haven't seen the, the Burgess one back. I just saw them both end up in a heap. But Kieran McKenna's mm. talked about it being a rugby tackle from behind. That was just before half time. So um, if it is as what people say it is, then, then that sounds like another stonewaller that Ipswich should have got. Um, the one on Jackson at the end, I just saw once once live um, and my first instinct was penalty as well. I thought he'd got the wrong side of the defender. Um, so, again, everything said about the performance, Ipswich probably should have two penalties in there. And, uh, you know, if, if one of those goes in, then, then they win the game as well, which completely changes everything hmm. that we're talking about. So, um, when people talk about luck evening itself out over the course of the season... I would imagine Ipswich have, have got quite a bit in the in the bank at the moment. Um, Kieran McKenna was very diplomatic af after the game, and you know was asked about the penalty incidents and just said, "I hate talking about referees. I want to focus on on our positives, on our deficiencies." But 
almost it's getting ridiculous now. I shouldn't have the last time we got penalties was in the Portsmouth game, which came on the back of the Barnsley game, where he had his his big rant about referees hmm. and not getting stuff at Portman Road. And lo and behold, they get a couple of penalties. They're first in thirty something games the next match, and he says it shouldn't. It shouldn't have to be that a manager has to come on and and, ha- and and say what I did to kind of get penalties in the next game was was kind of what he was alluding to. So, um, yeah, I, I find it really boring as well, talking about referees. It's not what we go to watch football for. Ipswich didn't draw this game because of the referee. I, I feel like that you're always hiding behind a bit of an excuse. Mm. You've got to look at yourselves a little bit and your own performance. Um, had Ipswich gone and got a, a second in that little 20-minute spell, after going ahead, <clears throat> then we wouldn't have to we wouldn't have to be relying on the luck of referee decisions and and things like that. But um, there's certainly notable incidents to uh, to discuss for sure. Any other notes in this game, boys? Like I say, I don't want to spend too much longer talking about it. anything you liked, anything you didn't like, anything you want to highlight, either of you. I didn't want to say it, but I think it's my fault that Fleetwood equalised. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> now, because I was on the pitch, so I couldn't, you know help the ball not go into the back of net. Oh, but, I like this. I'm going to make myself comfortable for this. I like I, I like the sound of this. Yeah. Um, base, so basically, um, normally we shoot at the north stand end in the second half. Um, but we didn't for this game. So Fleetwood must have won the toss. So they were shooting um, at the north stand end in the first half. And then they switched the second half to, of course, the, you know, the Sarrell stand. Um so at the end of every game, I do like to get some pictures of the players clapping the North Stand and, you know, I was waiting for them to celebrate. So in the 90th minute, I thought, I think this is the perfect time that I, I saw six minutes added on. I thought, okay, we've won this game, 1-0. Okay, th- th- there's some warning signs of Fleetwood scoring, but I thought, now nah, we'll be fine. So I walked down, sat myself down, looked up, Karen Burgess, deflected shot into the net and I went, oh God. I was like, have I jinxed this? Because... If I didn't move from my other position, maybe they wouldn't have scored. But so yeah, I'm just want to apologise really if if I had any play in Fleetwood getting I the mean, equaliser. It sounds to me like it was entirely your fault, Ross. Um, yeah. So so essentially, you 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 did something you wouldn't normally do. You assumed that Town had won the game. You positioned yourself in the best spot for celebration pictures, and then Town duly conceded late on. All all yeah. roads point to you, I think. I think so. Um, I wasn't going to say anything, but I thought I, I'm an honest man. I thought I had to sort of say this because, yeah. For now on, ladies and gentlemen, I will not move a muscle until a final whistle has rung. And then that's when I will move. But at this point, I thought they they should win. But, yeah. I do enjoy that your stance from the end of this game has been that the Fleetwood equaliser was always coming. But your reaction on 90 yeah. minutes was, they're absolutely fine. They've won this game. <laughs> Who did, yeah. did, did I see that? I, I think it was ITV Anger actually reported that Town had won, didn't they? They put a report yeah, out saying they won 1-0, which uh, yeah. there but for the grace of God go go us, Stu, in mm. the media. Um, you look at that and kind of laugh and then you think, oh God, I can see how that's happened. Um, so yeah, that was... Uh, I, that was... I wake up with that nightmare on deep into the hours of Wednesday yeah. mornings and Sunday mornings every week that I've, I've put the wrong scoreline or, or made some horlicks of, of everything. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to throw any stones in that direction. There's, there's a great scene in The Wire in the fifth season where it, which is based around the newspaper and one of the editors wakes up in the middle of the night and has to go downstairs and call the news desk to make sure that he's put something in the story which he thought was in the story, but he can't remember. He's got the kind of deadline fear. I think anyone who's ever worked in the media can relate to that because that is how it goes. The amount of times, and we all do it, you wake up in the night thinking, did I get that score? Did I change that headline? Oh, so I can I can definitely, I have sympathy with them for that kind of thing. Um, all right then, boys, should we move on? Because I want to talk about a, a wider issue now. Something that happened, well, on Friday night, Kieran McKenna's 50th game, but also something happened a year ago, Paul Cook being sacked. It was a year ago yesterday precisely i'm going to start with you Stu. i think it makes sense to start with, with paul cook sacking a year ago it came out of the blue if i can take you back um town just had a rather deflating and dull nil nil draw at home to barrow in the fa cup um and you were in the office with with hutchie just finished up i believe and then town tweeted to say that that cook had left and i think it was actually roscoe sent the tweet round to the group i was uh, actually out with the wife at the time um and my first instinct was that it was a spoof because it, it kind of came out of the blue. Um, so I was looking, because obviously there's a lot of tr- troll accounts, fake accounts, 
I was looking, is it which town spelt right? Is that really you know, that kind of stuff? Uh, and then it emerged, it, it was indeed the truth. Uh, and so we all had to spring into action. You and, you and Hutchie stayed in the office a lot longer than intended. I spent a lot more time in front of the computer than I was expecting to that night, much to the, the wife's chagrin. Um, but year on now, Stu, it's hard to kind of look back now and say, well, it not be not have your opinion tainted by the fact that Kieran McKenna's coming in, how well they've done since. Uh, but at the time, I think it, it felt kind of, to many people, it felt like a surprise. Um, and I've, I've done a bit today on, on social media with, with town fans. Um, and a lot of them are saying, yes, it was probably the right decision. But also, let's not forget that he brought in a lot of the players into this club that are now kind of key players. And also, he did that big job, which someone had to do at some point, which was blowing up the old guard. Um, so a year on, Stu, how do you reflect now on on kind of that that decision and also Paul Cook's job that he did at, at town. Yeah, it was a surprise because we're used to Ipswich Town parting ways with managers a lot later than the general fan base were, were calling for. You think sort of Paul Lambert went on longer than most were calling for. Um, I guess Paul Hurst never never got to that stage because it all went south so quickly. Um, Mick McCarthy kind of that was a horrible sort of six months drawn out affair wasn't it towards the end of his contract um, so for yeah for that to have come out the blue I did exactly the same as you when when Ross sort of texted us I was walking back to, to my car from from the ground to see that he's gone um, and so we thought okay this is the first sign of the new ownership and Mark Ashton at, at the helm at the ground sort of having a bit of a ruthless streak and um they're not messing about here. Um, obviously, it's proven to be the right decision in terms of everything that's followed under mm. Kieran McKenna. Um, but I think it is right at this juncture to acknowledge that the players that Paul Cook recruited and has left behind, it's the, you know, the spine of this team, the core of this side are, are Paul Cook signings. Um, <clears throat> Christian Walton... Uh, George Edmondson, Sam Morsey, Lee Evans, Connor Chaplin, Wes Burns. These are all big, important players mm. for the football club that that um, Paul Cook has left behind. Um, you're right, maybe that sort of is a bit like a sticking plaster that somebody had to come and just sort of rip it off and, and be quite brutal in terms of sort of shaking things up at the football club that had got a bit stale and stagnant and comfortable in so many different ways. Um and he was the guy that kind of did that and, and the recriminations were, were on him um, quite quickly. Um, I spoke to a senior player at the club recently, off the record, had a bit of a chat about, about things. Mm. Um, and he said, you know, obviously in terms of personalities, McKenna and Cook are very different, which we know. Um, but playing style-wise and football philosophies, they're not a million miles away. He mm. said to me, and you look at it, I think this is now McKenna has transitioned to a 4-2-3-1 now. There's a lot of, in terms of getting the ball wide, cuts backs into the box, the type of goals that they want to score, the way they want to play. I don't think it's a million miles away from from Paul, from, from Paul Cook's philosophies, to be quite honest. And um, and again, we have, what a rough time it was for Paul Cook personally as well, mm. with losing his father and everything at, at that period in time. And I think once we're all caught up in the heat of sort of managerial sackings at, at the time, and sometimes you know, in the cold light of day, you step back and think, actually, what what would that have been like for that that person in in the middle of it at, at that mm. period in time? So, um, things that Paul Cook got wrong, things he got right, he paid for it. But um, yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, one year on to acknowledge some some of the good stuff that uh, a lot of the good stuff that that he left behind. Yeah, one of the comments, Rossi, that I think. Um was kind of my caught my eye the most was in many ways the fact that the, the squad that cook assembled or right, he didn't get to see the, the benefits of it and the fruits of it but that's one of the big reasons that we ended up with mckenna because that would have been a huge selling point for mckenna looking at that squad going bloody hell they've got some really good players there for that level um and so he's almost had he's been the man that's that's done the dirty work he's blown up the the old guard got rid of you know chambers and scoops and all those guys He's brought in some really good players, but he, and he's not actually seen seen the end of it. Um, so, how how do you now reflect on on Paul Cook here on? 
Um, I'm going to quote Stu really here. You know, Paul Cook did, you know, was part of that rubble that he, you know, he he made. You know, the yeah. man. Um, but yeah, you know, at the time it was just you know pure shock. You know, once again, I had to quickly double check before sending you guys. Went, yeah, that that is real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just feels like a lifetime ago now. I think it's only been a year, but it feels so much longer than that because of what's happened. You know, on and off the pitch. But yeah, he's got, he's got to get praise for, you know, because Sam Morsey wasn't going to drop down the champ, um, from the championship to sign for a League One club only because Paul Cook, his former manager. Christian Walton was the same. Um, Lee Evans and all those sort of players, you know, they only signed for the football club. Of course, Itcher Town, big football club and all that, big stadium. But would you be dropping down to League One to play for any League One club? No, you're, you're signing because you're signing for a manager you've played under before and that you like. And as you said, two very different characters, of course. You know, Paul Cook, we all miss his voice changes and his interviews. Um, they used to always, you know, make everyone laugh. But overall, it was the right decision. Um, some people felt it was knee-jerk maybe at the time, but mm. it was a statement from the ownership, Mark Ashton and co. Um, a lot of people would say, was that actually, you know, a game-changer appointment? Was that Marcus Evans' final sort of bit of business before... He left and, you know, sold the club um, because, yeah, Mark Ashton, Paul Cook, I'm sure they clashed heads multiple times because they're very two different characters as well. But over to, overall, you know, Paul Cook won't remember for many things, but players and that night at Portsmouth and Wickham as well because they were great nights. You do wonder, talking about sliding doors moments in the history, recent history of Ipswich Town, that had Ipswich beaten Barrow, had Ipswich got through against Arsenal under 21s in the cup, might Paul, mm. that you know, would that have prolonged his stay? Could he have then sort of clung on through that period and and um, got a few more results like the Portsmouth and Wickham and got that squad playing? That you speak to any of the players and they'll tell you it was as much to do with sort of all of them turning up at the same time and trying to don't underestimate what that's like to suddenly all be settling into Suffolk, all getting to know each other as colleagues all getting to to gel together as a, as a team. Um, but the off-field stuff as well, um, you know, could Cook have kind of come through that if it hadn't have been for those those couple of cup results that ultimately saw for him? You know, might that season have panned out differently? Would would we have reached the stage where McKenna had come in? Um, McKenna would then wouldn't have had, if McKenna had maybe come in further down the line, would he have... You know, he wouldn't have had the benefit of those few months to really get his feet under the table and work out what he wanted. Um, we'll never know, but um, it certainly worked out. I think ultimately for for the best, hasn't it? Where Ipswich find themselves um, with with Kieran in charge. Yeah, I just wonder in the fullness of time, and we, it's hard to judge at the moment. Obviously, you know, things are going well, but I think maybe five, ten years down the line, if we're sitting here in Ipswich Town or in in the Premier League and that kind of thing, I wonder if history will judge kind of Paul Cook as a man that almost kind of ignited that. By taking that first step towards blowing up the squad and 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 making the moves and bringing in the players that eventually would would see town get promoted, um, I think history may remember him maybe more kindly than perhaps he is at the moment. Um, but of course, the new man's come in, Kieran McKenna. We'll be talking about his year anniversary in in ten days or so, December the sixteenth, I think, is his, his year anniversary. But he's now played fifty games as town manager or overseen fifty games as town manager, Stu. Fiftieth um, game on Friday. From those first fifty games. Um, what what do you think are your kind of main takeaways and your, your kind of biggest memories from that that first half century for McKenna? Um, in the early few weeks, seeing that performance away at Gillingham when they mm. won 4-0 and blew them away early doors and thinking, wow, if he can put this sort of imprint on the team in such a short period of time, we have got one hell of a coach on our hands here. Um, so that game sort of sticks in my memory and some of the goals, that was the first time we saw some of the patterns of movement and the, and the real principles of play come to the fore. Um, the, the, the wins against Derby and Portsmouth this season and, and the atmosphere and thinking how far we'd come from, from the atmosphere at Charlton away in the final days, you know, well, that was post Paul Cook, wasn't it, in the caretaker spell afterwards and to think... Mm. how much sort of everyone had become united and, and how they're, they're, they're filling out the stadium now. That's as much to do with off-the-field stuff as it is sort of McKenna and co. on the pitch. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, the stats, I haven't got them to hand here, but they'll be remarkable, won't they, in terms of win percentages. I've seen some stats from um, Japan have just scored while we're talking. I've seen some stats uh, <clears throat> about sort of the clean sheets and how quickly sort of McKenna's got to wins before, you know, in comparison to Ramsey's and Robson's and people in terms of first 50 games. Yes, there's the context of this being League One level, but... Um, yeah, amidst the the sort of frustration of Saturday's result, um, it's it's been a remarkable turnaround in the last twelve months, hasn't it? You really have got the bike, haven't you, Stu? Um, are we in a are we in a watch along situation again? Are you dragging us into this watch along? No, no, Was that it... didn't work last time. <laughs> Is it it's Japan Croatia, isn't it? As we speak, so Japan are one 0 up, are they? They are, yes. Excellent. Um, follow Stu for updates throughout the pod. Uh, Roscoe, Kieran McKenna's first 50 games. I don't want to say, we'll, we'll obviously talk a lot in depth about the first year of McKenna probably in, in pods and, and written pieces coming up and videos and whatnot. But j- just very briefly, over that first 50 games, what stands out for you? Definitely clean sheets. Um, I've got the stat there, 25 clean sheets in 50 games, which is incredible. Wow. 27 wins, 83 goals scored, so a lot of goals scored. Um Love watching his interviews. I'm sure Stu enjoys press conference sometimes. You actually, I remember you saying once, like, oh, we've got enough now, Kieran. That's enough now because he just he talks and talks, which is great. But, Stop um, talking, also, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's great insight. You know, he's a very, yeah. you know, intelligent man. And, he, you know, he's, he knows his stuff. He knows his football. Um, and I, I, I'm learning new things every time. Every time I watch one of his interviews or read one of his Stu stuff, um, what Kieran McKenna said. But yeah, definitely the Gillian game was the the day where we all sort of stood up and go, okay, we've got we've got a team. It's still early days, but some great goals in that one. Um, you know, signed off as well. I know Cholton players were on the beach, but the end of the season, winning four 0 as well, that was a good day to end the season. Mm. Um, and then this year, once again, we've been in this position before. You know, under Lambert, we were winning games, top of the league and stuff, but we were never comfortable. But the last, you know, the first three months of this season, we were comfortable weren't we and we were actually really enjoying the football so yeah it's been a good first 50 games on to the next 50. Mm, absolutely I think when he was first appointed I believe I may have insinuated that he was perhaps a bit dull having watched his first interview um, so I think that's probably my biggest change of opinion because I, as as you both said I really like listening to him talk uh, and him talking about football he's so analytical and calm and kind of forward thinking and everything he says, you're like, yeah, I can see, I can see exactly why that works, why that makes sense. That's, that's so good to hear. Um, and, and that's it, what differentiates him yeah. from Cook so much because yeah. Paul Cook was just so emotional, so hot on his sleeve. He came out and said, I'm, I, I feel it like a fan, let the pain set in and you're not going to get anything out of me today. And then, you know, I'm not going to throw the players under the bus. And then he'd proceed to say they were played like they were competition winners and things like that. You would never in a million years get that from, from mm. Kieran McKenna. It's amazing how he can, within minutes of the final whistle, have that, that calm, collected mind. Um, and I always think what, what you see from managers publicly is, unless they're ridiculous actors and yes sometimes they probably have to say different things publicly than they do privately but their their overall demeanor must be the one that the players see in general and mm. um I, I just think modern football lends itself now to you know you're dealing with younger people not just footballers of of a, of a different generation that I think react to different t- styles of man management and this is this is what this is what young footballers today are going to react to. They're, they're thirsty for, for stats and knowledge and how to do new things. And that they'll be sort of buzzing off of what did, what did you do at Manchester United then, Kieran? Did, did Cristiano do this? You know, they'll, mm. they'll be desperate to sort of learn off of him. And it's his, yeah, as much as taking away all the tactical stuff and the work on the training pitches and all of that, it's just his demeanour and his personality and his calmness and that sort of intellectual approach that he's bringing that, that, um, that I've liked the most, I think. Yeah, that's exactly it. intellectual, exactly that, and it fills you with so much confidence, doesn't it? The way he talks, and uh, and you you feel like, God, oh, we've got someone who's properly next level here in charge of this football club. Um, 
yeah, fantastic. And obviously, as I say, in the next, in the coming days and weeks, we'll be doing a lot more around the first year of McKenna and, and properly getting stuck into that. Boys, there's not a lot else to mention really on on this week's pod. It's, there's not been much happen other than the game since we last spoke. A couple of other things to, to mention in passing. Roscoe, you, you've got something that you, you wanted to mention, so I'm going to let you lead this um, because I, I put out the uh, the list, the plan, and you said, shall we, this is during recording, I, I might add, you may have heard my phone go off, in fact. Shall we mention Frank Yallop being inducted in the club's Hall of Fame? And I replied, yes, although I don't know a great deal about him. So, Roscoe, over to you. Frank Yallop inducted into the club's Hall of Fame. Once again, I wasn't alive when he played for the club, um, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, I think you always got to praise for players. And, of course, Frank Gallup gets some credit for bringing the three lines to the town, you know, them to the attention of town. Um, mm. Of course, Burke O'Kai and uh, Mark Detmer and Brett Johnson, because, of course, Frank Gallup was head coach um, and I think director, sporting director at, um, at Phoenix Rise and at the time was Arizona United. Um, but, yeah, Frank, you know, also a very good town career, you know, under you know, over 10 years at the club. Um Scored two very good goals in the Premier League, one against May United, one against Spurs. Um, but to be at a club for 10 years, I think you always got to get praise because, you know, he played over 300 games for the football club. And I've been told by many people who did watch him in the flesh when they were, when he did play, um, it, you know, he wasn't the greatest of players, but he, he was decent enough and um, to play once again f- for 10 years at a football club, 300 plus of games, playing the Premier League for the club as well. Um, I think... Uh, are rightly deservedly to be in the the Hall of Fame for the club because there's some you know some town greats in that Hall of Fame and I think he's probably deserved to be in that. Mm. Yeah, Hutchie did an interview, didn't he, with him? I think actually in the days after the the initial takeover, which was a really good listen um, to Frank and and how he's involved with Game Changer and his kind of knowledge of the guys and and why they were good people to come in at Ipswich Town. Very interesting. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. Also, go and listen to Mike Bacon's latest. Uh, my favourite town, eleven, which is done with Steve Mellon, which went out on Sunday morning. Formerly of this parish, Steve Mellon, um, very, very good writer, uh, an interesting guy. So go back and listen to that. The other thing I want to mention, Stu, in terms of things that have happened since we last spoke, is um, some quotes from Kieran Dyer coming out, um, which, which made me feel a bit sad actually. Um, speaking to True Geordie, which is just a, a marginally more successful podcast than than ours, only marginally. Um, yeah, so he had a he had a chat on there. Obviously, the links to to, to Newcastle, um, and and he was talking about how aggrieved he felt when we've just been talking about Paul Cook leaving, uh, when he was asked not to step up and be the caretaker manager, but to step up and be the assistant to the caretaker manager, who was his assistant at the time, John McGrill, and how that's made him essentially wash his hands of Ipswich Town. We know he departed acrimoniously anyway, um, but reading those quotes just made me feel a bit sad because I, th- I still feel like Kieran Dyer has got a lot to offer. Yeah, I think we've said it before on, on here. Kieran is an, a very a very emotional mm. man. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably why he got on quite well with Paul Cook, really, because both, both of them um, spoke their mind. I wonder whether they, they might work together at some stage further down the track because um, I think they, they, did, they did work quite nicely together. Um, but... I guess if you put it in the context of any other job, if you saw somebody um, appointed as your assistant and then a week later sort of leapfrog you to a, to a bigger role, you'd you'd probably feel a little bit aggrieved and uh, mm. hurt by that. If you'd been, certainly if you'd been at said company for quite a long period of time and felt you'd built up quite a bit of um, credit and kudos in the bank, um, so yeah, it is sad that he's got to the point where he feels like um, he needs to kind of step away from Ipswich. He is a proper Ipswich boy. He is a proper Ipswich fan. Um, and maybe we talked about the emotions of Paul Cook, as he said, maybe he's too emotionally connected to it. But um, it's great that he's health-wise is, is in a good place at the moment. He's, um, he's, he's not off the liver transplant list, but it's suspended at the moment. So that means that he doesn't have to be within sort of a 90-minute radius of the hospital where, where he would have to get that transplant done. So that means that he's been able to go out and um, gain a lot more experiences from what I gather. He's sort of at England camps at various age groups and, and watching those coaches and the FA uh, are very keen to sort of get him involved a lot, given his sort of experiences, both positive and negative throughout his career that he can pass on to players. I think there's been a, a few bits of interest from from uh, football league clubs along the way. So I'd, I'd expect to see Kieran in uh, 
in some sort of role within football in the new year, hopefully. And that'd be interesting to see how he gets on, but may, maybe doing it for his boyhood club where he was just too too emotionally connected ultimately might, um, maybe he's right. Maybe that wasn't his best first step. And, and who knows, further down the track, roads, roads might lead back to Ipswich at, at some stage, hopefully. Mm. We will see. Anything else to mention, Roy's coming up to 45 minutes, a nice, tight, compact little podcast. We've not got Hutchie on doing a 15-minute Milka Cup draw. Um, anything else to mention? Um, can we talk about Josh Earl's red card? Yes. Why didn't we bring this up the, during the game? I've never seen the original masked man. Um, mm. Won't really be remembered for a huge amount. Was on loan at Ipswich in the second half of the season. They they got relegated. Had the the Cameron Burgess mask during that time. He was on loan from Preston. He's a Fleetwood player now. One of their better players. Um, <clears throat> he got sent off for what has been described as obscene gestures towards the crowd, choice hand gestures. Yeah, the, the, the choice of hand gesture that you would use probably in road rage, I would say, is the universal hand gesture there, if you're a, if you're on board with me. Um, is that I the, didn't the, see that. The, the single finger salute or the... Or is it the... It's You're about to roll um, some dice, sir. Is that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. that one, yeah. Um, I didn't see it because I had my head down sort of updating the live blog at the time. But um, Andy Warren tells me that he did this in wildly in all areas of the ground. <laughs> Family stand, upper tier, lower tier, just completely lost his mind. Um, it's a shame it's not on the video. Yeah. So I've watched back the I follow bit and you can just see him <clears throat> double armed roar of, of uh, relief. And then the camera sort of panned away. That was absolute pandemonium when that Fleetwood goal went in. It took me a while to work out who'd scored it. Because all the flight, all the Fleetwood players just ran off in mm. opposite directions. Some went to the bench, some went to each other, and then uh, and then I looked up to see Josh Earl getting the red card. So he must have. I think there was a bit of um, a bit of spice in that game. There was a, a few words being exchanged. Um, Sean Rooney was certainly at it for the whole game in people's ear. There was some some tasty tackles going in from people like Vela in in midfield. Sam Morsey was kind of getting drawn into all of that. So. Yeah, we talk about Ipswich being this cool, calm, collected side that are in the uh, in the mould of Kieran McKenna, but um, maybe the, the the plan from Fleetwood to ruffle a few feathers kind of uh, worked a little bit. But yeah, that was that was interesting. Scott Brown in it. I always say if you're going to get sent off, get sent off. Goes it down full headbutt, or if in this case, go go double dice salute to all, all corners of the ground ground and and really earn that red card. Um, good work. Roscoe, anything else to mention? No, just um, another good pod, boys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, over to you. I'd say, that. I'd say it's average at best. It's right. Um, it's I right. also want to mention, this, this guy's been sitting in the background for some time now, and I sh- we should mention it. This is, a, this is a new little mascot for the pod. All the way from Australia, um, a listener called Simon Palmer um, brought this. It, me and Stu went to, to see him. He's just over because his dad's not very well, and uh, thankfully he's, he's, uh, he's improving now. So Simon came over from Australia. And he, uh, we went to see him, didn't we, Stu? And he, um, he bought me a, a boxing kangaroo because obviously I've been known to to bore on about boxing quite a lot, which I'm a big fan of. So he's now sitting behind me in the in the studio. He towers. He's he's a pod mascot. He also, Stu, he brought us some chocolate from Australia, which uh, apparently didn't melt. Um, and it was for all of us, but I haven't seen hide and hair of it. Uh, I was I meant to bring on our little trip to Manchester, but I, I'll be honest, I forgot. So um, <clears throat> I think it then did subsequently come to Exeter with it, didn't with us, didn't it? So um, the other boys did partake, but I'm, I'm afraid you missed out. Okay, well, it's, it's good to meet you, Simon. Um, Stewie does do meet and greets for a small fee. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what Simon paid, but it was in the region of three figures. So uh, <laughs> and I, I, I come along as a chaperone. Um, <clears throat> he, he will also post for just one picture, not, no more. Um, there we go then, boys. That's the end of this week's pod, uh, coming up in 48 minutes. So the week has started. Town have got a point against Fleetwood. It was Ross's fault they didn't get all three. That's what we've learned today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed today's pod. Please do support our sponsors. Use the code ko8manscape.com for 20% off and free delivery. I've just bought myself some new Manscaped deodorant, one of their new lines, boys, uh, and I'm very impressed with it. And also, obviously, if you're into your marketing and you want to push a product or indeed your service or business, get involved with Ginger Pickle. If you like your pickle ginger, Google Ginger Pickle, Tony Southgate and that, those boys there, the goats of digital marketing. And I do apologise, I'm not wearing my Ginger Pickle hoodie today because it's in the wash. Um, friends, 
The week is up and running. We're up and running. You're up and running. Have a great start to it. And we'll be back later on the week to build up to Peterborough. Speak then. Maybe the reason why I knew it was coming is that's why I moved to that <laughs> for Fleetwood's end. So I was there to catch the Fleetwood's goal. That may be why. That's what I've just been thinking of just this last 10 minutes. Like, mm, that's maybe why. I knew it was coming. That's why I moved to that end as well. Not just for the celebrations, but for Fleetwood's goal. Okay, yeah. Are we still rolling? What's going on? I just don't Please, my, I just don't please my leave that in. Leave that in. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you.